Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as we uh, have been saying every week uh, this season, this is when we remember both that God has come to us and that he is going to come to us again. The season of Advent is when we remember, really, that the shape of the Christian life is about faithfully waiting between all that is already and all that is not yet. And this year, uh, we've been reading together about what God brings when he comes. These, these are the things that were planted as good and strong seeds when Jesus first came. They're growing quietly now. They're growing patiently and sometimes unseen right now. But when he comes again, they will be among the towering trees that shade the kingdom of God. We've talked about how when God comes, he brings justice, and how God come, when he comes, he brings peace. And this morning, I want us to think about God bringing hope when he comes. So I'm going to read from Zephaniah 3 for us, verses 14 through 20. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed, or you can just listen as I read from Zephaniah 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask as we, uh, as we talk about this word that we've just read and heard together, as we, as we think about it for a few minutes, that you would meet us, all of us, wherever we find ourselves this morning in whatever condition we are. We pray that, uh, like we just sang, to whatever extent our hearts are faithless, to whatever extent they are troubled, that you would grant us faith and that you would grant us peace. Show us the hope that we have in Jesus and change us by it. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, back, uh, back on June 16th, 2014, uh, the United States played Ghana in the World Cup in Brazil. It was, the, uh, it was the first group match for both of those teams. And as these things go, it was a bit of a grudge match. Uh, Ghana had knocked us out of the round of 16 at the previous World Cup in 2010. And I was in Houston uh, at the time this game was played. I was with Pastor Dan. We were at the big uh, annual Presbyterian meeting, and we were watching a game with a bunch of friends. And that game started out like a dream. Clint Dempsey scored uh, 30 seconds into the match to this day. Still the fifth fastest goal ever scored in World Cup history. 
And the restaurant that we were in, uh, when that happened, it exploded with delirium. You could actually feel the joy hanging around in the place. But then for the next 80 minutes or so, it just got quieter and uh, quieter and quieter in that room. The joy all drained away as the U.S. were outpossessed, outpassed, outshot, and outplayed. And then finally in the 81st minute, what felt like the thing that had been inevitable finally happened, Ghana scored. And I, uh, I fully realized how cliche and how absurd this sounds, but when that happened, I felt physically sick. <laughs> and all the Fairweather fans uh, started peeling away. They started filing out the front door, which was too bad for those clowns, because in the 86th minute, John Brooks, who had come on as a sub at halftime, got on the end of a Graham Zussi corner kick, and he headed a goal to put us ahead. We ended up winning that game. Even if you don't care about sports, and I know, believe me, that's a bunch of you, even if you don't care about sports, you should probably watch the highlight of John Brooks scoring that goal one day, because after he scores, he runs away in disbelief. He won't let anyone get near him. He actually puts his head in his hands. He stares at the ground like he cannot understand what has just happened. And then finally, he just runs out of gas. And exhausted and overcome, he lays down completely prone, face down in the grass. It was beautiful. That's that's what John Brooks did. And here's what I did. (laughs) Here's what I did in that moment. And I only pretty much know what I did in that moment because Pastor Dan described to me what I did later. I jumped out of my chair and I yelled so loudly that I lost my voice for the rest of the week. I, uh, I involuntarily started to cry. <laughs> I was yelling, I was high-fiving, I was pumping my fists in the air, I was crying for about two minutes straight, and then I must have run out of gas too, um, because I gave Pastor Dan a hug, I kind of fell into him, and I think I, I held on to him for a little too long. He told me later no one has ever hugged him so tenderly. I thought about that this week um, because I read that first verse that we just read together, that we just heard together, and I asked myself, do I know what it feels like? Do I know what it feels like to sing aloud and shout and exult with all my heart? (laughs) And that moment is, is what came to mind first. I think it's one of maybe 10 times in my life that I have felt like that. And I sure hope, church, that you can remember times that you have felt like that too. Because every time you and I feel like that, every time we feel like that, I'm telling you we are getting a little taste of what we were really made for. Church, we were meant for that kind of joy. And we were meant for it forever. Because that's what it feels like when God is with us. That's the entire point of what we just read together. Sing, shout, exult with all of your heart because, as the prophet says, God is in your midst. And knowing this, knowing this is the fuel of hope for people like us. This is definitely a very sharp, very surprising turn in the book of Zephaniah. 
Now, we don't know much about Zephaniah other than that he was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah in the 7th century B.C. He was a prophet during the reign of a king named Josiah. Josiah was a pretty good king, um, but all of his efforts at reform were not enough to turn around what was already a sinking ship of a nation. The northern kingdom had fallen to this nation called Assyria, so things were politically unstable and threatening to say the least. And down south in Judah, where Zephaniah was, things were falling apart by just about every way you could measure it. And this leads to a couple other things we know about Zephaniah. First, that he was an evocative and very talented poet. His prophecy comes to us as poetry, and it is beautiful poetry. But for most of the book, it's beautiful in the way that uh, Cormac McCarthy's writing is beautiful, or Emily Dickinson's, because it's beautiful about the darkness. That's the other thing that we know about Zephaniah. He hits the gas in verse 2, line 1, and he does not let up. His single-minded focus is what he calls the day of the Lord, and he wants everyone to know That will be a day of fierce, fierce reckoning. The day of the Lord is the day when God comes to set everything right again. The day of the Lord is the day when God fixes all of the things that are broken in his creation. We talked about this a little bit two weeks ago when we talked about how God brings justice when he comes. We long for justice, right? We long for this world to be set right. We long for broken things to be fixed. But when the light finally comes, it is bad news for the darkness. (laughs) It is bad news for the stuff that happens in the darkness. It's bad news for the people who do stuff in darkness and wish it would stay in the dark. But justice means it's definitely not going to stay in the dark. And that, that is what Zephaniah writes about for most of his book. He starts with this incredible shot across the bow. Here's the first lines of his prophecy. The first lines out of Zephaniah's mouth, verse 2, line 1. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. Zephaniah begins with this unmistakable and unambiguous image. It is the image of the unmaking of creation. It is God's good creation, disassembled and deconstructed and then returned back to the chaos from which it came. It is Genesis 1 in reverse. And it is meant to startle. And it is meant to trouble. Because once that has happened, we can hear all of the reasons that this deconstruction will happen. And none of them are are very original. None of them are very surprising. Not if you know the Old Testament prophets just a little bit. And as much as we don't like to say it, um, not if we know our own hearts just a little bit. Here's a short list of the reasons for that deconstruction, a short list from Zephaniah. Officials who are like ravening lions and rulers who are like wolves who consume it all in the night and leave nothing for the morning. Arrogant prophets, profane priests, the oppression of the poor, 
the neglect and lack of care for widows, people who run to violence, people who trust in their wealth rather than God, people who hedge their bets by giving lip service to Yahweh alongside a, a big, big list of other little godlets. When you hear that list and considering humanity's long history, here's what you can say about that darkness. Same stuff, different day. I mean, you can also see why Zephaniah would start this prophecy with the undoing of creation because we have been walking back God's good creation. We've been walking it back for a really long time. We've got our own versions of profane priests running around today. We've got our own versions of rulers like wolves who consume it all. We got all that stuff. And church, at the bottom of things, for me and for you, it's best that we not hear that darkness at a distance. Because part of growing up in our faith, part of you and me, part of us maturing in our faith, is learning to see where the Venn diagram of all of that darkness overlaps with, uh, with me. Because it does. And if we say that it doesn't, we're just kidding ourselves. All of this bark darkness boils down to really the oldest thing, the oldest thing, which is not trusting that God has our good in mind and taking things into our own hands. We'd never say it like this, but it just boils down to us wanting to be God and, and trying to do it. And this, you know, we know. And this we live and and this we feel. You know, like, I'm, I'm not ready for that test that's coming up, but I do know uh, a shortcut. I feel so alone right now. So lonely. But I think some false intimacy will do for the moment. Or I'm getting overlooked at work, people don't see me, they don't see what I do, they don't listen to what I say. If I step on this person, maybe I'll get up high enough to be seen. Or maybe I'll just feel good for a minute. This is the stuff we know, this is the stuff we live, this is the stuff we feel. And then, and then out of nowhere, out of nowhere comes this audacious invitation. The invitation of verse 14, and we hear this invitation and we realize this is the one we've been waiting for our whole lives. Shout aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. Church, this is an invitation out of nowhere, it seems, to unrestrained, unhinged celebration right now in this present place, right now in this moment. 
And it doesn't come because anyone got their acts together all of a sudden. It doesn't come because of the reforms of a pretty good king. It doesn't become because somebody gave a good speech or priest preached a nice sermon or did a bunch of good stuff. There is one reason for this celebration. There is one reason for this invitation. Only one. The king, the Lord of Israel, is in your midst. He has arrived. The celebration happens because God comes, and when God comes, he brings joy. (laughs) And knowing that, and knowing that that day is coming, is the fuel of hope for people like us. I mean, the whiplash that happens when you're reading this book, the whiplash between darkness and light, it's so great. It's almost disorienting how, how, how sharp it is, like... You know, John Brooks, head and hands, what just happened disorienting? The best kind of disorienting. But if the coming of the light means bad news for the darkness and bad news for people who do stuff in the darkness, how is it that we can have this joy? And how is it that we can have this hope? How did we get on the right side of things? Well, Zephaniah is glad we ask. He lets this cat out of the bag first. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He cleared your name. He cleared your name. Like the prodigal making his way home, we were forgiven, we were welcomed long before we ever had a chance to make our silly little speech. (laughs) And all of a sudden, we're ushered into the party. And on that day, the prophet says, it shall be said, don't be afraid. Do not let your hands grow weak. The feast to end all feasts at the party at the end of time has begun. And the host of the party, the host is the Lord God in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And the shape and the look and the feel of that salvation is beautiful beyond our imagining. In verse 18, God says, I'll gather those who mourn for the festival. Such a vivid image. As that nation had slowly unraveled, as that nation had fallen apart, so had all of the things in their common life, the practice of their faith, which included the festivals, the pilgrimages that ordered their years and ordered their life together. All that was starting to fall apart, and God sees the people who miss it. He sees the people who feel that lack, who can't seem to get over the losses that have happened in the past. He sees the people who feel stuck. God sees them, and he says, I'm going to gather you back. What a promise for people like us, for any of us who have difficulty moving on from loss. who struggle to move on from pain that's happened to us or to the people that we love. For those of us who who feel stuck, God sees people like us and he says, I'm going to gather you back. I will bring you back. Losses will be restored in ways we could never dream, we could never imagine. Wounds that we thought would never fade will be finally and fully healed. And that's the truth, church. That will happen. And the gathering just keeps going and going and going while all the oppressors are put away. God says he will save the lame. He will gather the outcast in and change their shame into praise and into renown in all of the earth. 
The world will one day gladly sing the songs of the forgotten ones, church. The world will gladly sing the songs of the displaced ones. The ones who were ignored and the ones who were stepped over and the ones who were avoided. One day we will sing their acclaim and we will sing their worth in a song that goes on forever and ever and ever. And that won't be the only song. That won't be the only song that's sung that day. I think verse 17 is one of the most surprising, one of the most intimate images of God in the whole Old Testament. I hope I never get over it. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I mean, this whole thing started with an invitation for us to sing aloud and for us to rejoice and for us to exalt with all of our hearts. And then we finally get to the party and we see that the tables have turned and it is God who is singing and it is God who is rejoicing and it is God who is exalting. And it's over you and me. (laughs) We are the subjects of the song He will quiet you by his love. I mean, if you're ever tempted to think that if God loves you, if he loves you, it's probably a begrudging and annoyed kind of love, then please remember this. I want you to remember this. If you're ever tempted to think that God is mostly irritated at you, and perhaps despite that irritation, he still might love you a little bit on your good days, I want you to remember this. If you ever think of yourself as um, unlovable or unworthy to anyone, let alone God, I want you to remember this. He has put together a song about you, and he sings it loudly, and he wants the whole world to hear it. And that is absolutely true, church. And we're meant to take great joy in that. And to let that joy burn as the fuel of a real, tangible, red-blooded hope right now in the middle of whatever the darkness is around us. Elizabeth Actemeyer, um, who taught Old Testament for many years at the Union Theological Seminary, said it like this. Zephaniah ends in almost unimaginable joy. The great day that Zephaniah told us about, it's coming. It is coming. That great day is coming. But church, let me let you in on the open secret that's at the heart of our faith. It's already dawned. The day is already here. God in our midst is already happening. Joseph the the carpenter heard about it when the angel told him that that baby Mary was going to have was Emmanuel, which means God with us. If we follow Jesus in repentance and faith, then we follow behind him towards the full brightness of that day when it dawns. If we follow Jesus in repentance and faith, we find that he is the one. He is the one that we walk behind into that great feast. Because his cross is where he cleared our name. (laughs) His cross is where he took away all the judgment that stood against us. His resurrection, his ascension mean every single one of the promises of that day. All of them. Everyone that Zephaniah told us about. Those are going to happen. And that means they are the sure things around which and upon which we can order our entire life of faith. 
If we follow Jesus in faith, I'm telling you, that song, it's already started. It's faint. I know it's faint. Sometimes it sounds like it's just a whisper in the darkness. But do not be afraid. Because one day, that song will be all that anyone hears anywhere. Jesus, church, Jesus is the substance of our hope. He has come, and he will come again. Let me pray for us. Father, your grace is always like a whiplash. (laughs) Your grace is always a surprise. And I pray that you'd help us as a people to to never fail to be surprised. (laughs) And to never fail to be hungry and thirsty for it. To never fail to wonder at the fact that we have been invited to this great feast. Father, help us to watch and to wait with hope with a really durable, red-blooded hope that does not fade. We can do this if you grant it to us. Do this so that we will mature in our faith. Do this so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.